0: Please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, and uh, as you turn there, I want to ask you this very important question, a question of identity. The question is this, who are you? Who are you? As we approach the new year, there are doubtless scores of people who have made one of their goals, one of their resolutions for the coming year, to just be themselves. You might say, this year I want to be myself. Or maybe we'd say, I want to find myself, discover who I really am. As some people are no doubt making resolutions to change themselves, uh, to come out of this, all this quarantine, a new person ready to take on the world. One of the big difficulties in this whole philosophy of identity and the importance of the self is that we tend to think that we can Make ourselves be whoever we want to be But we can't make ourselves be anything Because we are not our maker We are not our designer We are not our own master And often the motive behind these desires to change or or to change our view of ourselves is this the end goal is to feel comfortable with who we are. To be comfortable in our own skin. And the world clamors for either a a change in perspective, just to get to the point where I would be satisfied with who I am presently, or, or a change in appearance, a change in attitude, a change in skill level, more success, a change in wealth. Maybe one of the top New Year's resolutions every year, a change in weight, or whatever the goal might be for change. Ultimately, what people want in the end is to be satisfied with themselves, to be proud of who they are, proud of what they've become, proud of what they've made themselves to be. And all that regardless of what anybody else thinks. Who cares what they say? They just want to be comfortable with who they are. If you watch, uh, watch shows and films for kiddos these days or maybe for, uh, young adults or teenagers, now more so even 20s and 30s, maybe even 40 year old movies, over and over you see this theme of be happy with who you are and who cares what anybody else has to say, but you, you do you and you feel great about what you are and who you are. So Christian, who are you? Or an even better question would be this, whose are you? And remembering remembering that you've been bought with the price of Christ's sacrificial death, so knowing whose you are, then, who are you becoming? What is your maker, your designer, your redeemer as well, your master, what is he in the process of Conforming you to become, and we know the answer is into the perf- perfect image of Christ. We're being conformed to perfect righteousness, but we're being conformed—someone else doing the changing of us. And then we ask this question: Are you comfortable with that? Relinquishing control of the results. Not being in charge of the outcome. You see the potential issue at hand? Not being able to take credit for our improvements. Are you able to rest in the care of another? Even when the other is God himself. Christian, who are you? And who are you becoming? Let's take a minute and look back at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, thus far, uh, to help us answer these questions. Go back up to verse three, and I'm just going to uh, point out the characteristic from each verse here of of who we are. These are characteristics of Christians, of Christ followers. So, verse three was poor in spirit, one who is made aware of their sinful condition, sees it in truth. Verse four, those who mourn. This is our right response to our sin before. Our holy God. And verse 5, the meek. We are happily submitted to the Lord our God. Not just submitted by force or by coercion, but happily submitted to the Lord our God. Verse 6, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Uh, when we are comfortable with the idea of submission to our holy almighty God, then we enjoy what he is making us to be. We enjoy the idea of what he's making us to be. And we enjoy even the process which instills in us a desire to pursue righteousness. We want it. We want to be like Christ. In verse 7, the merciful. Having experienced the mercy of God in our lives, we want to extend mercy to others. In verse 8, the pure in heart. The praise of man, because we are comfortable with whose we are and and happy to be submitted to him in meekness, the praise of man brings less and less comfort to our hearts, and the pleasure of God brings us greater and greater joy. To please him is most pleasing to us. We know who God has made us to be, and we are happy in him. Therefore, the allure of the world doesn't charm us like it once did. In verse 9 the peacemakers remember because our father is a peacemaker we act like our dad and become peacemakers too perhaps uh, some families saw some loved ones over the last week and uh, in our in our home even this week there was some recognition uh there are, there are some people in my family who think i act just like my dad I think they're right. (laughs) I do. Um, But we have that, don't we? We act like our mom or we act like our dad. We even sometimes look and see our kids growing up and go, oh, yep, he's a lot like him or a lot like her. And because our father is a peacemaker, so are his kids. We become peacemakers as well. And then verse 10, the reviled and persecuted. Because our Savior was reviled, we act like our savior And we also are reviled I know this though This reviling this persecution is not the only response that we get for being who we are and who we're becoming Verse 16 as we look today is going to tell us that others will see us being who we are And instead of persecuting us they'll glorify god Some will see and revile Others will see And be changed just like we were. They'll see, they'll hear the truth of the gospel, God will graciously convert them, and they will glorify God just as we are and are growing and doing. It's so easy for us to look at this list from verses uh, 3 through 12, these beatitudes in Matthew 5, and especially maybe this time of year, jump right to that attitude of saying something like, well, okay, Uh, this is what i'm supposed to be like these verses are my list of things to do So I got it. Let's see which one should we start working on first How about meekness? So meekness is my goal for 2021. Okay. I am going to be so meek By the end of 2021. I got this next december. I'm gonna be the meekest guy, you know But that's not what this list is for Jesus was not giving us a task list He was telling us, Christians, who we are or what we're becoming. What we will become entirely, entirely by the grace of God. So this isn't our task list. If anything, it's his. And this sense of identity, this sense of not a self-made, but a God-given purpose, in life. This carries right on into our main passage for today uh, with the first phrases of verse 13 and verse 14, where Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Notice these statements do not say, be more salty Be more bright. These verses are not commands. They do not uh, command us what to do. They do give us a purpose, though, don't they? These verses are not commands. They are declarative statements. This is not become salt. This is you are the salt. This is not turn on the light, but you are the light. Christian, Who are you? You are salt. You are light. And as we grow in meekness, as you grow in meekness, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, your saltiness and your brightness are only going to grow stronger and brighter. So the question for application is, Becomes less. Do better. Do better. Do better. Do better. And more. This is what God's doing. Are you comfortable with this? Are you comfortable in the skin that God has given you? Are you proud in the good sense of who your father is? Children of God? Especially when other people catch you acting just like him. Are you submitted to his will? Are you able to rest in his hands, in his sovereign hands? Now, knowing that this is God's will and God's purpose for our lives, you are salt, you are light. Let's take a closer look at these verses and see what it's supposed to look like. So starting in verse 13, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. So let's talk about salt, uh, just to help us to understand Jesus' illustration here. In the ancient world, salt was harvested from salt marshes rather than uh, evaporated water, which it is more so today. And therefore, it still contained the impurities. The other minerals, deposits, things that would have attached themselves to the salt itself were still there still attached. And it wasn't that the salt wasn't there. Salt doesn't stop being salt. No one can ever pluck you out of his hand. Salt doesn't stop being salt. In that rocky substance that's collected, it's just that there was more not salt in that pile of salt than there was the actual salt. And so the different minerals adhered to the salt, which made it lose its taste. It was overpowered by the other stuff attached to so it lost its taste, it's lost its saltiness, which means it's lost its ability to preserve. And also, the use of salt that Jesus is referring to here, it's not quite like how we would use salt at our dinner tables. This is not a salting of foods to make it more savory or to make it more tasty. This use of salt is as a preservative. And we have our refrigerators and our freezers today that we would throw our meat into, of course, they didn't have that then, so what they would do is rub that salt into their meat uh, to, to delay the inevitable, to prevent that meat from rotting, decaying, uh, putrefying. Of course, it didn't stop it from happening, but it slowed down the process. Just like if you put uh, some sliced turkey in your fridge and go back a month later, it's not going to be so great, right? It slows it down. Salt was being used as a preservative. Uh, The meat was eventually going to go bad salt or no salt But the salt would prevent it from going bad as fast as it would Without the salt. Okay, so there are some things that we can pull from this illustration that can be a help to us Uh, Jesus first of all, jesus is not commanding us here To keep everyone in the world in line This is not what he's calling us. Jesus is not saying you make sure you go tell everybody what they're doing wrong Jesus isn't commanding that. We're not the righteousness police demanding that the lost act like the saved. God hasn't told us to make lost people act like saved people without giving them the gospel. The slang the slang use of salty today, and some of you in your head were already thinking it when I said it, the slang use of salty today. It means to be angry or to be hostile towards people even annoyed, getting grumpy. Everybody's being dumb around me, being grumpy, being salty. Jesus is not calling us to be that kind of salty when when people aren't doing right by our standards or by his. Being salty doesn't mean that we get to watch the news or read social media and respond with that, can you believe these people? kind of attitude. That's not the salty that Jesus is referring to here. Instead, what we're being taught is is that as we simply live in purity, as we live in purity, as we grow in the characteristics of the Beatitudes from verses 3 through 12, one of the byproducts, the byproducts of being who we are will be that the world around us takes notice. And in a sense, when we come around, because of who we are, and what they have seen in us, they'll sit up straight when we come around. That's it. It's not us pointing our finger to everybody. It's us being like Jesus. And people can't deny it when we're around. And it causes them to sit up. It causes them to take notice. When a Christian shows up in a group of people, the cuss words might decrease. Right? The the crude jokes get less funny and less frequent. When an honest Hardworking employee arrives at work, it can drive others to do their work well. When a Christian is doing the accounting, people will know not to mess with the numbers. They're not going to let that slip through the cracks or get swept under the rug. When a a Christian is approving parts and manufacturing, the inspectors, those that are inspecting the quality, they're going to know to give accurate numbers in their measurements. You get the idea? We aren't commanded here to make Everyone comply with our list of do's and don'ts. Instead, when we humbly walk the walk, and not just talk the talk, this is not us having the right doctrinal statement and therefore having the right to be rude to people. But when we humbly follow Jesus and walk the walk, it has a preservative effect on the world around us. And not not because we've verbally demanded it from them, but because our lives and pure conduct just calls for it. Just calls for it. Uh, This serves as a great encouragement to us to pursue purity. Uh, Remember that salt that has lost its saltiness in Jesus, Jesus' illustration here, it hasn't ceased to be salt. Instead, it is salt that is surrounded by and therefore then attached to other foreign minerals that have therefore rendered it ineffective. Uh, This world, we know this, is full of information. It's being thrown at us all the time, sometimes by our invitation. People are trying to influence others one way or another. There's a battle going on for our minds and and we have to take a big step back and ask ourselves Am I being influenced most by God's word Or by the ideas of the world Of our own fallen hearts And the answer to that question will be what makes up that pile of minerals That we take on in this illustration And, And there's things that we Uh, invite we might turn on that channel or choose that movie or click on that link or whatever the case may be and then we know this too as we just walk through day by day walking through life stuff happens people do things people say things we hear it but in all of these things we ask ourselves what am i listening to what am i reading what am i watching who am i listening to and, and trying to please And when I do hear, when I do see, when I do interact, am I sifting God's Word through the world's ideas? As if when I read the Bible, it has to pass the test of how everybody else feels about it. Or am I sifting the world's views through the truth of God's Word? Which way is that going? Who is in control? Who is steering my thinking? Who is holding sway in my heart and mind, shaping me? And if it's the world, I'm going to lose my saltiness and become more like the decaying meat than like the salt. If it's God's word, if it's God's word, if it's the truth, I will then have a preservative effect on the people around me. Now, what about light? Light. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. The cities in that area at that time were built up on higher elevations for defense purposes. Uh, The builders of the city would have, they would want the advantage if the city were to be attacked. It's harder to go uphill and defeat a city than to run down and, and get after it. And this advantage resulted in high visibility, and they were okay with that. They weren't trying to hide at all. Better to be high than to be hidden. And the cities were often built with white limestone. So even during the day, the sunlight would hit that and just reflect right off of it. There was no missing it. And then at night, when the lamps were burning, the higher elevation would make that city, make the city lights shine. All those living on the outskirts of town, those who would like to be outside the town, could see right where the city was because they could see those lights shining. even in Mount Pleasant, we're on the there is no mountain of Mount Pleasant, is there? We're in a nice flat area, but even if you're on the outskirts of Mount Pleasant, you can see the glow. Can't you at nighttime? You know where the city is what direction to head. And there was no hiding a city. It's builders, its makers put it where they wanted to for a purpose fully aware of its high visibility. Church, you are a city set on a hill by your builder. Verse 15. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. Here's, here's a terrible question. How many of you turn on your lights so that you can trip over things, stub your toes as you feel your way through the house at night. Nobody does that, right? That's that's crazy. Nobody would do that. The whole point of turning on the lights is to see, to see where you're going. The only reason we use lampshades today is because the light we make is too bright to look into. So we have to soften it and spread it out, right? And we didn't design light. We're not the maker's of light to help us to see that's just what light does all we do is design light fixtures we harness it and we put it the way we want it to be so that we can see what we want to see we make spotlights and floodlights and flashlights you name it the point is to help us to see what we wouldn't be able to see in the darkness we are putting the light to use verse 16 in the same way Let your light shine before others. Put the light that you are and are becoming to use so that they, the world, may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. A couple things here. We we might read this and, and see that Jesus is telling us, let our light Uh, Be seen. Let your light be seen by others. And then we remember that he also commanded us to not let our left hand know what our right hand is doing. What's going on here? We're told in Matthew 6, the very next chapter, not to try to do righteous works in order to be seen by men. So is Jesus contradicting himself here? The answer is, well, no, of course not. And the difference is in the motive. Our motive. The person who is trying to make themselves awesome, to impress people. Remember, he was using the Pharisees as an illustration there. In a religious place, in Israel, those Pharisees were trying to make themselves look amazing, be be, uh, desired by people, be looked up to by people, by their religiosity. And Jesus says to that person, don't brag, don't show off, that isn't righteousness. Uh, That kind of religion, we might say, is just all the more darkness. But to the person who is reflecting the light of the one who calls himself the light of the world, Jesus Christ, in order to put it to use, in order to point people to him, to Jesus, that's what we're shooting for. And when we're living righteously, submitted to Christ, we're a city set on a hill. You can't just hide that. It's not us flaunting spirituality to try to make people uh, see how awesome we are. It's just us living like Jesus in the midst of this world, and it can't not be seen. It's apparent. It can't be hidden for long. And we think about this, too, in our lifetime and in our, our part of the world. There, there might be some of us here who we've experienced a time, maybe lived in a neighborhood where your neighbors would be impressed that you came to church today. Even on a Sunday night, after all, right? But my guess is, most of our neighbors don't really care all that much. In our day, in our age, in our place, our region, they might even be a little bothered by it if they're paying attention. Baptist even, right? But I still, I think we live in that zone, the Midwestern sensibility of you do your thing, I'll do mine. As long as you don't force your religion on me, I won't force my thinking on you. Except maybe my sign in the front yard or something like that. But we're just gonna leave each other alone and we'll, we'll be good if we do that. In that kind of an environment, which most of us I think live, it's kind of hard to try to do righteous acts to impress people when no one around us is impressed by them. So in a, in a way that could be a bit of a blessing to us, a removal of an extra temptation, because if that was a thing, we'd be tempted. <laughs> You'd be tempted to do that it's helpful to remember here as well that There are different results To being salt and light I touched on this earlier In verse 16 we see the effect of other people praising god meaning They saw the light in us in our lives We have also become Peacemakers and shared the gospel with them And they have turned And are worshiping god they were converted But back in verses 11 and 12, they responded with that reviling and persecution and slander. Remember, Jesus didn't pause that day on the hillside as he said this the first time, the only time. He didn't pause that day on the hillside after verse 12, clear his throat, and then read like the heading in my Bible, salt and light. And then pick back up with verse 13, right? That's not how that went. He was speaking this. One thought after the other. One thing connected to the next. Being spoken in quick succession. And the Christian. Who is. And who is becoming. A displayer of all these characteristics. These beatitudes. Is. Going to be salt and light. And the world around us will be preserved in ways through that. And then some will respond with different forms and severities of reviling and persecution and slander. Others will respond by seeing the light, hearing the truth of the gospel, putting their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Both of those things would happen from the same uh, salty and bright light living. Okay, well, there's all kinds of things that have been said and and that have been written through the years about being salt and light But the big ideas for us here Are of being used as preservative in the world And being used as illuminators in the world as salt We slow down corruption As light We are used to eliminate that corruption in the hearts and souls of those who hear and believe. They pass from death to life, from corruption to incorruption. Praise God that he would use us for such a thing. Now those those truths are unique to each illustration, salt and light, but there are some uh, more helpful things to consider that we can find in both of these ideas about uh, both of being salt and light. So the first is this. It's really helpful, it's super important that we know and remember that the you, YOU, the you in verses 13 and 14 are both plural. Plural. Jesus wasn't talking to you or to you or to you. He wasn't just referring to one person but to you. Okay, I did that on all three services and on the live stream, so everybody got in, in on that at some point today. He was saying y'all or For us, maybe more, use guys, okay? That's what he was saying. That's what the Greek means, use guys, okay? Look it up. No, I'm just kidding. But I think we can apply this in two different ways. One, please remember that your fight for purity, your fight for purity, to live as salt, your fight for brightness, to point people to Jesus, is not something you're supposed to fight for alone. Your fight is not your fight. It's your fight. It's our fight. We're in this together. God has given us the local church to sharpen each other, to encourage each other, to refine our saltiness and to keep the oil burning in our lamps or in modern day technology to help us to stay plugged into the power source, the outlet of God's word through the ministry of the Holy Spirit in prayer together and for one another. This work of preservation and this work of illumination is not something that you equip yourself to do. Let's build each other up uh, in this life, for this life that we live in Christ. So that even when we are all alone at the job place, maybe you leave here tonight and you see your brothers and sisters in Christ here and then you, you go to work tomorrow and you feel like you are. You, it seems like you are the only Christian there. And you know even then, you have a family. Who is rooting for you, praying for you, eager to meet together again and prepare one another for these next opportunities that we'll have to serve the Lord? We all work together to prepare each other for the purposes that God gives to us. And then, secondly, our saltiness and our brightness is not just an individual task. We don't just come together to work together to send each one out individually. It's not just your identity and your identity and your purpose and your purpose, but it's also your identity. The First Baptist Church of Mount Pleasant has an identity and a purpose. We are salt. We are light as a church in our community. Uh, What any one of us does and is, is a part of the whole When any one of us takes on other minerals and loses our effectiveness, we all lose effectiveness. When any one of us burns brightly for Christ, we all burn more brightly. We're all in this together church. And the church, the local church, is God's embassy for his kingdom and God's lighthouse to the world. Those lost out in the darkness. So we do this together. It's important for us to remember as well, uh, not just that the U's are plural, but then also it's very important for us to know and to understand that our difference from the world, not similarities to, but our differences from the world, are what make us recognizable and what make us effective. It's our difference that makes us effective. There are more books and articles and training videos out there on ministry effectiveness and ministry tactics, uh, more it seems, than than we could count. And and one methodology to doing church or, or doing ministry that's been very prevalent, as you well know, is the idea of being as much like the world as we can in order to draw them in. But if we run that idea like we always should through the grid of God's word, Through the grid of this passage today, it just doesn't work. It doesn't fit. Jesus is telling us, if we lose our saltiness, we become ineffective, not more effective. Church, we must remember, we are the salt. The world is the decaying meat. We're the salt and they are the rotting meat. We should not want to become decaying meat. And we cannot keep meat from decaying by introducing more decaying meat. That wouldn't help. We, church, are light. The world is darkness. Uh, This passage tells us who we are, but it also helps us to see who the world is, doesn't it? We are light. The world is darkness. We do not become darkness to illuminate darkness. Darkness. You don't turn off the lights so you can see in the dark. That simply does not work. Even when the world comes up with renaissances and enlightenments, right? Proud in their accomplishments, proud in their achievements, it only drives them deeper into darkness. To be enlightened and to know there is no God, that was not light, that is just further darkness. And they think they've discovered their own light. So if all we are, if all we are is another way for the world to keep being the world, if that's how we think we're going to be effective in ministry, to allow the world to keep being the world, why would the world even be interested? They're already doing that. They're great at it. They don't need our help to to do that more. We wouldn't know what to tell them. When we try to be like them, we just look like fish out of the water because that's not who we are. We're supposed to be different. That is the draw. God has set us apart. We are in the world, but not of it. Instead, it is when we are salty. That we are effective. When we are shining, illuminating Christ, that's when the world sees him and responds. And we don't change how we are to make them respond in the affirmative. Remember, we were we, we are salt and we are light, and we grow in, in displaying the characteristics of the Christian and the beatitudes. And the same truths the same actions the same living will respond in persecutions and slander and reviling in some and in repentance and conversion in others that's god's doing but we've been called to be who he's made us to be the pushback might be from uh, the verse in first corinthians in chapter 9 We may have heard this before in this discussion where Paul says, I have become all things to all people that by any means I might save some. And people do use that verse to defend the idea of becoming uh, like the world to win the world. But Paul was not talking about being worldly in 1 Corinthians 9. He was talking about giving up his rights to win them. If a Jew, this is a religious Jew, by the way, right? A religious Jew who would have been caught into that temptation of trying to be very religious to impress people. If a religious Jew was offended by a Gentile practice, Paul would not flaunt his freedom. He wouldn't say, look what I can get away with now outside of the Jewish law. Don't you want to become a Christian too? That's not what Paul was doing. Instead, he would willingly give up that freedom, remove the obstacle so that he might be able to share the gospel. Paul wasn't taking liberties to win people. He was restricting his liberties around those religious lost to win them. And now, we're in these waters now, okay? Because we can get caught up in this stuff sometimes. Because Also, because I was a worship leader for about 12 years, a music leader in churches, uh, different churches, and, and frankly, one of them more conservative and one of them a little bit more contemporary. So on both sides of that uh, that aisle, we must be careful not to hear these things that I've just said about the idea of becoming like the world to win the world and then feel vindicated for not approving of any styles of music or styles of doing this or styles of doing that because it's not our cup of tea. That, that's not vindication for that by any means. And on the other hand, writing music or, or or playing certain music or painting walls certain colors or certain ways or or wearing clothes for the purpose of making people think that we are hip and cool and with it. And I say those words that way because I can't possibly be those things. I am not cool. I am not hip. I am not with it. And those aren't even the right words to use. And that's why I use them, Okay. If I tried to be like that, y'all would come to church next Sunday and go, what is he doing, right? That isn't effective. And everyone lost or saved can smell that from a mile away. The best we do in that is we might think we're being clever and we think we make things more approachable and easier, but the people listening are you. And we don't need to reduce our level of biblical understanding and knowledge and growth. We need to increase it. We need to be who we are and sincerely love people and sincerely love people who aren't like us. Right? We need to share the gospel with them and know that the reason why they're not, the most important reasons of difference is because of the gospel. It's because of Jesus. It's because of sin and our need of rescue. But as far as music goes, or even things like carpets or chairs or pews or coffee or no coffee or suits or jeans, it's not necessarily wrong to have preferences in those things. We have preferences in those things and those are okay. But what we can do if we're not careful is make one style the spiritual style. And the other, the non-spiritual style. And I'll tell you, having seen both sides of that, there are people on both sides who hold that view of the other. There are people who like maybe older fashion, older style of doing things, who look at those that are doing things that might look newer, and they go, boy, they're so unspiritual, they're so worldly. And there are people on the other side who see people who refuse to change, and and they go, boy, they're very unspiritual and selfish. Both sides of the aisle, there are people who think that way. Okay? So I'm not saying one is better than the other. I'm saying both can be a trap. Okay? Sometimes that spiritual style just happens to be the one that was most popular in that person's heyday. And did you know, this is a fun little fact, did you know there was a time when pianos were considered vulgar instruments in the church? You are using a piano? In the worship of God, how disgusting. Absolutely. I'm not saying it is, but that would have been said. Listen, it isn't this style of music or using certain kinds of instruments that makes us more or less like the world. It is when we have our own favorite styles, our own personal tastes, our own personal preferences, and then demand... That we get our way if others are going to be graced with our participation. That's what makes the church like the world. And it can be a desire for songs written a long time ago. It can be a desire for songs written yesterday. And if I have to have mine or else I'm not here, then we're being like the world. Does that make sense? And then we go back to 1 Corinthians 9. Then we go back to 1 Corinthians 9 and and I might like this or I might like that or I might like that paint color. I might like these kind of clothes. But I'm willing to give up my preferences for the greater good. For the truth of the gospel. For the ministry of the gospel to the lost. And the sanctification of the redeemed. When we're like that, that's the right kind of salty. That's illuminating. And then last but not least, we must understand that God has made us to be influencers. God has not made us to be influenced, but to be influencers. And the word influencer, it's changing in its meaning slightly in our day uh, due to its use in social media, but in a way that might be a little helpful for us in in this passage, this message tonight. An influencer today is a person who has a bunch of followers on social media And who is then paid, uh, because of that, paid by various companies to make videos or to take pictures with their products. It's just a new version of product placement. And so an athlete, they might take a picture or a movie of themselves drinking Gatorade and, oh, this is so refreshing. Or they might show themselves working out in a, a new pair of Nikes. And just so you know, those companies are not paying me anything. This is not product placement, okay? Just happen to pick those ones out. Uh, Maybe a popular person would be uh, taking pics or videos of their trip to a certain hotel or to a certain resort, of course, all expenses paid, so that you would see them going there and enjoying themselves. You get the idea? They're being watched by a bunch of people who want to see what they're up to and and maybe live vicariously through them a little bit and, and maybe start trying to look like them and see if they can't get their own followers and their own all this and that and the other thing. They wish they were as cool and beautiful and talented as them and sort of wish they could get paid to the same thing and get their own tens of thousands or even millions of followers or worshippers or whatever it might be. And the companies, of course, all hope that those followers also buy those products as a result or click on that link to, to book their flight, having been influenced by those social media influencers. Does that make sense? Christians, God has not called us to be influenced. He's called us to be influencers. Except that we're not marketing any product. To say that we're influencers, marketing a great product would be a gross understatement. Instead, we are pointing people to the almighty God of the universe. The one who holds all things together. Uh, The one who, everything by him being created and everything created for him. We are pointing people to the one who took on flesh, who lived a perfect and sinless life, who died in the place of sinners, taking our penalty on himself so that we would be made right with God. We aren't trying to trick people into buying a product that may or may not make them happy. No, no, no. And by all means, we are not the product. We're not the product. We're not trying to get people to buy into us. We're trying to point people to the Savior of the world. We are representing the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Their only hope for salvation. The one who will judge all things just, just, justly. The one who will judge all things justly with all righteousness. The one who will make the heavens pass away with a roar. Who will burn up and dissolve the heavenly bodies and expose every work that was done on the earth. That's Second Peter 3. We are pointing people to the one who will see death and hell cast into the lake of fire for all eternity. The one who will make the new heavens, new earth, new Jerusalem, and will forever dwell with his people. The very people who, today, are the salt of the earth. The very people who are the light of the world. Church, whose are you? And therefore, who are you? Praise God for the ways that he has used us. God has used us for his glory. Praise God. This has been a strange year. And God has used us this year. And may 2021 be a great year of preservation and of illumination through the life and ministry of the First Baptist Church in Mount Pleasant. And for our brothers and sisters of Christ across town, around this area, this region, and across the world. May God be praised and glorified through the conduct of his people. Let's pray together. Father, we we do thank you. You have given us such an amazing purpose. What a wonderful task. And God, we thank you for the grace that you've given us uh, just to make us your children And then to use us to preserve and to illuminate. To point people to Jesus. And God, I pray that you would do those very things through us this year. Please use us. Please use this church to be a blessing to Mount Pleasant, to Mid-Michigan. To draw many people to yourself. And God, I pray that you would help us. May we see. uh, We live in an era of, um, certainly, the New York Times bestseller list is full of of the self-help manuals, the self-help books, the ten easy steps to this or that. And God, there may be ways that we, as even your children, have taken the world's philosophies and the world's methodologies for change, for a view of self and, and tried to marry those ideas and those philosophies with the idea of sanctification and growth in Christ-likeness. and Christ-likeness. God, I pray that you would help us give us clarity to see how this works and that we would be a people truly submitted to you, meek, happily following Jesus, comfortable, to be your people, happy to rest in your sovereign hands. So God, use us for this. Be glorified through us. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.